This is Crucial Tech, a podcast about the technology that affects us all, but few of us understand, presented in a format that can give you some basic understanding and the time it takes to drive to the grocery store. I'm Luke Covey, an independent journalist who's been writing about various technologies ranging from renewable energy to digital security for more than 40 years. I probably know more about it than you do, and if I don't, I will introduce you to those who do. Speaking of Anchor.fm, if you are listening to this episode on Anchor.fm, you can make a comment live with your own voice. You can suggest possible topics for the future, or you can make comments on the current podcasts that are up already. And I might end up making you a star on my own program in the near future. So give it a shot, Anchor.fm. Welcome back to Crucial Tech. Uh, Today, we're going to be getting into an area that we talked about a little bit last year about the general data protection regulations of the EU and the California Consumer Protection Act and how they and and we're going to talk specifically about how they're changing how social media will work in the future. Last week, we talked to uh, the CEO of Neone, which is a private social media platform, uh, and there are a lot of them popping up. They're having some impact on what's going on with the social media industry. Uh, And I'm going to come back after this interview uh, to talk about something that kind of hit me um, or actually made me kind of excited about how this stuff is working, and it ties into these uh, pieces of legislation. But this week, we're talking to Patrick O'Keefe. Now, you're going to notice he has a German accent because he is a German citizen, but he has Irish and German parents, hence the name Patrick O'Keefe. He also has a nickname of the German James Bond, which he hates. Uh, uh, But I actually think a more appropriate nickname would be the German Jack Ryan. If you're a fan of uh, Tom Clancy novels or watch some of the Tom Clancy movies, you see, you know, that Jack Ryan is a CIA analyst who kind of gets into uh, hot water a lot. Uh, But it's only because of his ability to analyze what's going on in the world. And he's also a good family man with kids. And Patrick has has four kids. Um, he was a German Navy pilot and, uh, in a reconnaissance for 12 years. And after his tour, he became an advisor to Na- a NATO think tank for naval operations uh, of, uh, for autonomous shipping and laws governing uh, technology and how it affects our, our global communications. And through that process, he also became a legal advisor to NATO. Uh, and after that, he's transformed that into uh, an actual career advising you know, corporations and government organizations about data and privacy laws. He's still a reservist, still working with NATO, and also working for the Institute for Security Policies and Cybersecurity. So you can see why I think he might be better called a Jack Ryan. So let's go to this interview with Patrick O'Keefe. So let, let's let's talk about it from a European mm-hmm. perspective. How is it affecting the general population? 
So two things. First of all, of course, your question, but is uh, the thing you said before, and it seems to work well. And that's one of the issues here. It seems to work well. There's a strong uh, and long history beforehand, before the implementation, before the ratification, and everything came into in effective. Um, Europe has a long history with different perspectives on privacy si uh, rights mm -hmm. from the different member states, of course. Um, of course, foremost, Estonia has a long history on the digitalization of the data of the citizens, how to use them and so on. So with these particular, uh, the interest from particular states, they were all brought together under the GDPR. Um, so it's not only based on some construct from the theory in international law or European law, but also on the hands-on experience from the member states. So therefore, on the one hand, the GDPR was able to cover what was already there and has been covered by singular states, but also to bring the um, spin to combine the different perspectives from all the European nations and also to have influence global-wide. What happened since then? Um, now it works. <laughs> <laughs> At the beginning, we had a lot of pressure in Europe, mm -hmm. especially for companies, especially for companies in small size uh, areas, um, how to deal with this new perspective, how to deal with the new um, um, demands from from also from the legislative, but also from other companies. And what about possible um, um, uh, lawsuits? You know what what might be on the horizon. Nobody knew what will mm -hmm. come into place, and the fees were high on the at least in the documentations and so on. But it worked pretty well. The implementation phase was good because, let's say, 12 months prior becoming ineffective. Um, the whole sector started to have a closer look at it. Mm -hmm. It was a very close call, but they made it. Um, and also, we, what we can see is that um, other states, like for example Japan, where I regularly travel to as well, um, they're pretty much interested in what the European station, uh, nations are doing under this uh, GDPR and what the experiences are, um, because it has a global effect. To the other part of the question, what I think is interesting that even small companies, you might think they, they would need to spend a lot of money more, maybe mm -hmm. for example for a lawyer or for consultancy services, not that much because what the GDPR provides is a very generic framework and to come up with own solutions for specifically what your business is doing. For example, if you're collecting data from only a specific segment of the customers or only a specific uh, kind of data, then you can produce the own software kind of um, storage system and appliance with the GDPR. Before GDPR, it was not possible because we had fees and we had breach reporting systems in place, but sometimes they were too heavy in legal wording that the companies were not able to understand it without legal consulting. Mm -hmm. Now they are. So now the companies are actually more e uh, easy in a position to find their own solutions and customize it, yeah. of course. And then you have something like the California law, yeah. which is almost as comprehensive as a GDPR, uh, although they do limit, uh, it puts some limitations on who it actually affects. I mean, if you, if you have more than 50,000 people on your list or you're having a you make a certain amount of money uh, selling data, uh, that, that does affect those companies. But what I found in talking to those companies is that, at least in California, and I've talked to a few people in the legal departments who won't, don't want to be quoted, but they say they're essentially just building up slush funds 
to go ahead and pay the fines as it goes forward and, and try and figure it out then. But they also seem to be at a point where say, we, would, we would like to uh, comply with these laws, the GDPR and the California law, and whatever else comes into place, but we lack the technology to actually do it. And it's just, it's just been my opinion, and I've presented this for about two years now, that the real problem with data security is the failure of the hardware community to provide safe technology. And everything is a software patch after that. And it's like anything that you patch, it's weakest at the seams. So what's coming down the pike? I know you're working for Axiato, okay? You're representing them in Europe, which is probably a better place to start because the GDPR is actually working and no one knows what to do with the California law. So how is Axiato and com companies like Axiato going to help get us into this world where our data is safe? Yes, thank you very much. Uh, many different aspects, and I would like to highlight uh, at the beginning, for example, the uh, what is similar and where the differences are between GDPR and yeah. the CCPA. Um, what I've seen so far and what I understand is, for example, the GDPR is applicable also to any company or any entity, also NGOs, who are dealing with the data of their clients, customers, or whoever is involved. Right. So as soon as you have an email traffic or storing the data in an Excel sheet or having for an event, just you know, like, like some stakeholder events, saving uh, the data of 10 participants with the address or email address, uh, banking account, you're already in there. With the CCPA, what I've seen so far, there are minimum criteria where it's applicable or not. Okay, then you have a difference in there. Also with the size or the amount of fines, I was pretty much surprised to see that the fines are, okay, they're different levels, but um, they're not that high as within the GDPR structure. So you can, and that's the reason why I totally understand why some companies thinking about having certain, um, uh, yeah, let's say, financial resources already stored and having in place if somebody finds them. Okay, yeah. that's kind of the typical dynamic in the market. You either invest or you either wait for something to happen. Yeah. It's kind of like a tax increase on corporations without ha having to go through the two-thirds majority. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but coming to the next point, actually, is um, it's not only that nobody wants to invest and rather saves the money for the fines. No, on the other hand, you're right. Um, there are also, from the software and from the hardware side, vulnerabilities or gap uh, loopholes or gaps uh, in the current or former infrastructure uh, that we use to store data mm -hmm. and that's not yet there to be uh, in compliance with the frameworks that the state is giving us like GDPR or CCPA or the other ones like Washington uh, in to be in place in 2021 we will see or um, so this is where for example um, advising Axiado in these and other matters it's helpful to understand and have also the connections to the European sector to understand what the experiences are, what mm -hmm. the companies have done already in other segments. Uh, in the European market, of course, you can get into contact and get the information, the experience, but also, and this is what I really like to uh, say, is in Tokyo, for example, even though the Asian market is so far away from Europe, for distance, uh, on the other hand, they are the influence of the GDPR is everywhere. So 
Oh, it's international. Yeah, exactly. So they are putting a lot of effort in Japan to understand and um, to get the experience from the European approach to the GDPR to um, also shape and customize their approach to their own privacy laws, but also how to deal with the GDPR. Yeah. Um, this gives also the opportunity for the CCPA and the other ones, uh, 10 plus in the US, to come. Uh, but also uh, with a, a framework for the whole US that may also become into effect in a couple of years to understand how we can do the job and how we can uh, do something better that hasn't been uh, done in the past. Yeah. For example, how to have conversations with the manufacturers of hardware, manufacturers of software, um, before we have the problems to solve them beforehand. Now the, the United States has kind of an interesting history of legislation mm -hmm. in that once I think the, the I think the number is 56% of the states pass a certain type of law. That's what puts the pressure on the federal government to implement the same law. So we're not quite there yet with a, a 10 plus states doing yeah. these laws. Maybe if we got to the point of 26 or 27 states putting these laws into effect, then we'd see some movement in the federal government. But at the same time, the technology does exist but not many people in government or in the higher levels of corporations actually know it exists or actually understand how it works. So mm -hmm. I imagine that's really what your primary goal is in Europe, is to help people understand what Axiato can do and what, the tech, what actual technology can do to help them achieve compliance with a minimal cost. So in general, what we can can see is that technology is not only, um, let's say, the bad side of this this coin, but also the other side to to have, for example, we can use we could use artificial intelligence, machine learning, all those things to be in compliance with GDPR or any other privacy acts, because that could help us to manage huge amount of data. Mm -hmm. We have done this in the past. That's nothing new, but it's sometimes new for a governmental office. You have to imagine that not we are not talking about Washington or Berlin or Tokyo. We are talking about regional offices, maybe mm -hmm. municipals, and all of a sudden they have to deal with um, a privacy act that is that is usually covering totally different aspects of the daily work. And all of a sudden, like for example, an Excel, Excel sheet where you save the data of of, um, of whatever you're doing you're not allowed to share those data anymore, those sheets with some other in the office because uh, with your colleagues. Those are small, small, small issues in the daily operations of the medium-sized or smaller entities in the governmental offices. This is what we are seeing in Germany at the moment, that for example, when you are applying for a passport or visa for a foreign country, they, they had to implement a new way how to process, process the data. Ah, okay. So it was like in the past, you know, like just taking notes on a, on a paper, putting in some, some software, and then somebody else was doing somewhere on another computer. That was not allowed in this way. You needed, a, let's say, a software that was um, in line, in compliance with the GDPR. So therefore, it needed new software. So, Which, so what you're talking about here is that what the GDPR's focus, and I don't think the CCPA mm -hmm. is, the biggest security risk to data is just human incompetence. And this and the thing is that the reason it wasn't dealt with before is that there was no real consequence 
for leaving your password on a sticky note on your computer. Yeah, there we there we saw that exactly. Yeah. exactly. And this actually says, okay, your job and the, the the future of this company is dependent on you doing it right. It's the it's the it's making people be responsible for the data that they're in charge of. Yes. The whole development with the GDPR, but also with the other privacy acts, um, helped us to understand that by the end of the day, the human being is responsible uh, of the data, yeah. how it has been processed, how it has been stored and deleted in the end. Uh, the life cycle of a data is at the beginning when you uh, get it from someone, from a client, consumer, and so on, and when you don't need it anymore, right. and then you have to stop using it. Okay. Before any privacy acts in this regard, like GDPR and uh, CCPA and other ones, um, the let's say the understanding was not there to say, okay, at some point when I don't need the data for my daily operations anymore, then I don't have the right to store the data anymore, mm -hmm. and then I have to delete it, and that's in the interest of the consumer, and that needed a lot of education, a lot of energy to bring this on the horizon. Sometimes you know you have to force this with legislative acts, but uh, in this case it was very successful. I mean it was just yeah, one and a half years ago mm -hmm. when we started this in Europe, and many people were afraid of implementing such a strong language in an European framework, um, but it worked. And after all, we are not that frightened anymore. Actually, it helps us mm -hmm. to be more safe and secure and being more um, also. Um, more secure in, in dealing with, with the data of our clients, not only business-wise, and so everyone has actually a better feeling about the data, more feeling more safe and secure. I'm going to take you out of your comfort zone for a second here. Um, one of the big issues mm -hmm. in American business is how the internet or I internet commerce is destroying brick-and-mortar shops. Now. To a certain degree, I, I, I understand that the United States has five times more retail space than all of Europe does. Yeah, so you might say retail is a little bit overbuilt in the United States in the first place, because probably stand to contract a bit. Um, but the ability of internet commerce to make it easy to buy, sell, uh, return, without ever leaving your home is, has always been a major uh, benefit to the internet commerce and bad to the brick and mortar. But because brick and mortar doesn't necessarily keep that information, that gives them a certain amount of, um, that, that gives them a, an advantage over internet stores. And I've come across a couple of companies that are using artificial intelligence to drive customers to brick and mortar companies and never keep the data. It's just a matter, if essentially the only data that is actually on their servers are the vendors themselves because it allows companies or customers to go in and say, I need to buy a pair of athletic shoes for baseball. Okay, so they can go in and they can take a look at, it can put baseball. And it will do a search using artificial intelligence for the top 10 shoes, either on the internet or from brick and mortar stores, where uh, it, that, that's what they see. And then they can click and ask for a bid 
from either a brick and mortar store or from Amazon. Okay, and as a result, the brick and mortar stores can compete directly with them, and people can go to the stores and they can try them on, and you know everybody's happy. So, do you think that this control of the data, as I said, this might be out of yeah, left yeah. field for you. Uh, do you think this kind of data protection laws are actually going to help brick and mortar? Actually, this is one of the examples I really like to show that we are in a constant development and constant adaption to what is going on on the legal side, on the business side, on the consumer side. Um, to put it that way, since we shouldn't be afraid of what's coming up to us as a legislation perspective, I think it will help them because some clients don't want to share their information with right. everyone. So they have the opportunity to go somewhere else. Yeah. And this is, this is the beauty of business, always show an alternative. If somebody doesn't want to go to one of the online stores with uh, prominent neighbors um, and doesn't want to um, opt in or opt out and go to the cookies and share everything what they are doing and sometimes I'm wondering why I'm still not getting the right recommendation for the books I like. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't work 100%, but if I don't want to have this, I still want to have an alternative. At some point in the past, I was afraid that I won't have any alternative. But opportunities like this gives us this opportunity, not only by online shopping or not, but also how someone else can and can have access to my data and how they work with my data. But if I don't want this to happen, then I opt out. Okay. Not only in the virtual world, in the real world as well. Helpfully, it's, I think it helps you as well. Yeah. Okay, so you're opening yeah. up this office in Germany. What's your first thing to do? Actually, uh, we already have some uh, early adopters and cli clients aligned and we are going to use this uh, business unit in Europe to, um, to facilitate the contacts over there, to, to discuss the products that we are doing here in Silicon Valley and to make them understand what's going on here and vice versa, but also um, to engage, for example, with uh, entities like the European Space Agency to look, have a closer look with new segments where we go for um, IoT devices, um, because as we can see in the space sector, there's a ch huge change in the market, but also in the maritime sector, the digitalization of the oceans is coming to place. Uh, How do you digitize an ocean? Yeah, 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 I know. <laughs> nice pictures you can deal with it. Um, since there are more than 140,000 ships on the oceans mm -hmm. and they are all start to being connected with each other, ah, okay. uh, not only by the GPS signals, maneuvering safely through the ocean, no, but also with predictive maintenance, for example, um, how to use the engines more properly, you know, maybe slow down a little bit, but then using the engine more eff efficient. Uh, there are so many data on the ship and the headquarters of the shipping lines, for example, Maersk shipping and other ones, they would like to use the data for, as I said, predictive maintenance, but also for other opportunities. But as we know, if we have a lot of data and we want to send it to another place, we have to, to s uh, send it through whatever channels we have. And since you're in the middle of the ocean, there's not much, right? Yeah. We cannot send it via uh, means we have on at land. So therefore, the space sector is coming more and more important into place uh, to, for example, send the data to a satellite. That satellite is sending the data back to the headquarters. Maybe warn the ships that there are whale pods in the vicinity. That would be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also um, what we can see in the Pacific, for example, um, for emergency situations, for example. It's also helpful to understand why um, there, there's something going on, but also in the aviation sector, the airplanes getting more and more connected with, with, the, um, yeah. with the headquarters, also for maintenance reasons, but for other reasons. So 
Long story short, a lot of data is going in and out, more and more uh, smaller devices come into place in this channel, and that's the reason why IoT is not only in your smart home, it's also on a small satellite, yeah. it's also on one of the many, many ships, uh, smart containers come into place, and that also opens another box of Pandora, because how do you deal with the data that's coming through? Mm -hmm. um, you have the different privacy acts, you have the GDPR in Europe and so on, and it's all applicable, um, especially when you're working in the oceans, because you're changing the continents and the nations, port in and out. Therefore, it's very difficult for the larger companies, but also for SMEs, to understand what's going on in the sector. So therefore, going back to your uh, question, we already have clients in this regard aligned and we want to now engage to the next level of the conversations how Axial could be of support in, in, with the IoT devices in this regard, also with the predictive maintenance, AI, how to implement these things and also with regard and compliance with the privacy acts. Excellent. Well, it looks like there's good news coming through for everybody on this and it's about time. Patrick, thank you very much for your time and uh, good luck in Germany. Thank you very much. Okay, that was Patrick O'Keefe uh, talking about the GDRP. And uh, we're going to be talking to Patrick more and more about the issue of cybersecurity and secure t uh, communications in the coming year. Uh, as a matter of fact, after we turned off the recorder, and I think I mentioned this earlier, that uh, we got into a conversation about the lack of security on our communication satellites and how they can be turned into weapons of uh, mass destruction and terror, uh, which is an interesting subject altogether. Go check that out over on EE Web. Um, also, after this interview, I was doing my normal reading uh, process, and I was w reading an article on uh, Ars Technica, which is a Condé Nast online publication. Uh, which has a lot of good technology stuff. If you want to look it up, A-R-S-T-E-C-H-I-N-A.com is a great place to go to find out what's going on in the world of technology. Um, but they, I was reading this article, and suddenly this pop-up came up, and it was a form from Condé Nast uh, explaining how they have to, uh, because I'm a California resident and I'm in California and all this stuff, uh, they, uh, they have to uh, tell tell me about the California Consumer Privacy Act and how they are complying with it. And there's actually this button at the bottom that says, no, you can't sell my information to other uh, publications. Now, it was turned on by default, which is what the, the law allows. Uh, the California law is an opt-out uh, process, which means we have to tell people that they can't sell my material. So I imagine I'm going to start seeing a lot of these things pop up over the next few weeks. And I'm, I would imagine we're even going to see it from Facebook. And that's what the point that I want to make here. What the GDRP and the CCPA are doing for us as far as our, our data and our privacy. Um, Facebook, Amazon, Google, Twitter, LinkedIn, they make a ton of money off of selling our products, uh, selling our, 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 our data, uh, along with advertising. And that's, it's interrelated because when a, uh, one of these sites is selling advertising, they are telling people how they can get very highly targeted uh, audiences for that, those ads. So, like, you know, that's people uh, kind of complain that they were just talking to somebody on the phone about a particular product that they might want to buy, and suddenly it pops up 
on their uh, their Facebook feed, and it makes them feel like uh, somebody like on Google or Facebook are listening into their conversations. Well, that's not really true. Is that we've already been showing that we're interested in these things by what we're looking at online, and so that's how how they pop up. It just kind of interrelates. But at the same time, that's how they make their money. That's how they've taken a revenue away from the newspaper business, simply because they're able to show the uh, show the, the what the potential real audience is, which is uh, print publications have always said we have this much circulation, and to a certain extent they can break it down as to who actually reads their stuff, but they're never actually just able to say who has read what, and. Google and Facebook and LinkedIn, they're all able to actually do that kind of thing. They're able to tell you who has read what and how long they've spent on it or even watching a video. What the CCPA and the GDRP will do is take that away from them if enough people do it. And uh, it's going to cause a problem with data analytics. Now, data analytics is another subject that we're probably going to get into later in this year because it's... We are surrounded by data analytics, and it's really badly done. Uh, I don't want to get too deeply into it, but the data that most of these companies have on us, uh, the the data itself is accurate, but how they classify it and how they act on it is very wrong. Uh, not not that it's unethical. It's just that it's not correct. Uh, for example, I've said before that Facebook considers me to be a gay 50-year-old uh, Asian man, uh, and I'm not. I, I am almost 70 years old, and I'm very white, and I'm a happily married heterosexual. But yeah, and that's not a judgment thing. I'm just saying that's what Facebook thinks I am. How do I know this? Because it's possible for you to go up on Facebook, download your data, and find out what they think of you. Uh, and this process, is uh, these, these laws are going to make it much easier to do that. In fact, you will be able not only to find out what your data says about you, but you will be able to tell them to erase it so it's no longer in existence. And that's going to hit their bottom line significantly because they won't have these highly integrated databases to sell their services to other companies. And it's going to hit other companies trying to sell you stuff. So it's going to be a very interesting process in the next few weeks uh, and months and years as this uh, pans out. But it's going to make us all safer. So I'm looking forward to thing, good things happening for all of us. So that's been Lou Covey with Crucial Tech. Thanks for listening. This has been a Footwasher Media production.